In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about how one woman makes space for metastatic breast cancer in her life. All memoirs, whether a book, an article, or an essay in Wildfire, needs to ask and answer a question. When we talk about what a story is really about, this is what we're talking about. Some memoirs contain a built-in question that the reader quickly and easily identifies. When were we first diagnosed with breast cancer? Do we think that we will survive? It's only after the dust of diagnosis settles that we realize the question is not so much, will I? but how will I? And not only that, but what does surviving mean? And is there living in surviving? These are the stories we need, and it's my honor to publish them in Wildfire. We know the trauma that arrived one day already. After all, we are here to tell our cancer stories. That's a given. What we don't know is what comes next. What did each individual do after that day to create a life from all those broken pieces? This is where the deeply personal questions lie. And every person who writes about their cancer is striving to answer those deeply personal questions. My guest today is no different, and you'll soon discover the very interesting question at the heart of her writing and at the heart of her survivorship. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome back to The Burn for the second time, Erin Wise. Hey, Erin. Hi, April. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So Erin, you are a psychotherapist and a school counselor, and you were diagnosed at 42 with stage four de novo, hormone positive, invasive ductal breast cancer. And during all of that, you also discovered that you carry the Czech genetic mutation. That is correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A whole lot of information dumped in my lap. Yes, absolutely. Well, welcome. And today you're here to read a new story for us. This one we published in our 2021 metastatic breast cancer issue that had the theme of survivorship. We explored all the ways that each individual individual were trying to live beyond that diagnosis day. That day, all the stuff was dumped in your laps. And your piece is called A Guest Room for NBC. After you read, we're going to talk about controlling cancer, making space for cancer, how writing helps with all of that. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat with Erin. All right, Erin, I'll let you take it away. All right. This is A Guest Room for NBC. A house is never really just a house. It has a function, of course, to house the people that live there. But houses are their own entities, each with its own individual personality. 
It only takes five minutes of watching HGTV for you to meet the charming cottage, the quaint bungalow, the understated craftsman with impeccable lines, or the bold and over-the-top penthouse apartment. Our first house was a drunk college student that peed in the bushes and is inexplicably missing one shoe split level. The house was poop brown and had abysmal upgrades, including two dumpsters full of trash left inside by the previous owner, three of four burners cracked on the electric stovetop, a non-working refrigerator, a pot-belly wood stove in the middle of the basement, and fluorescent orange popcorn paint covering the walls and ceiling in the master bathroom. It perhaps goes without mentioning that the house was a short sale, purchased during the real estate crash in early 2008. We were young and naive, full of DIY, joie de vivre, and undaunted by hard work. We were ready to send our drunk college student to rehab. That was easier said than done. The house quickly became our dysfunctional family member, and we became a solid team as we tackled one disaster after another. No renovation or repair ever goes smoothly, friends and family would tell us. Yes, but, we would reply, and the Pandora's box of shit we had been dealing with would explode out of us. That's so cool that you guys are redoing your basement. You just moved in. Yes, but, and out came projectile word vomit about the water main exploding in the wall on week one, the basement flooding, the sump pump broken and not pumping out the water, and later, when we pulled off the ruined drywall, we found floor-to-ceiling black mold hiding behind the walls. Vomit, vomit, vomit. Slowly, we gutted each room, exposing her most vulnerable secrets with each layer of defense we removed. Slowly, we rebuilt each room, forcing our house to be a respectable member of society. No longer would we tolerate heating ducts spewing their hot air like empty promises into the walls. Slowly, we began to trust it, finally secure in the fact that we could celebrate holidays and special occasions without the house going on a drunken bender the day of and blowing up the water heater, air conditioner, or sewage pipe. And eventually, we bestowed upon it the greatest honor we could think of, to care for and nurture our growing family. The sink we installed held the pregnancy tests while we waited for our lives to change. We built the staircases that supported my pregnant body as I made endless trips to the bathroom. Bamboo floors we laid encouraged the early first footsteps of one baby and then another. Brand new walls listened to the giggling of two brothers delighting in the existence of each other. Our hot mess of a house had grown up and found true meaning in life, as had we. She held on tight that day in August of 2019 when I threw open the front door, unhinged after the phone call at work that told me my life, our lives, were forever changed. Metastatic breast cancer invaded our very existence and seized control of our cozy split level. It wasted no time as it sat down at our once welcoming kitchen island, threw its gigantic filth encrusted boots up on the granite countertop and looked me dead in the eye. You see this? NBC growled at me while gesturing wildly. I'm in charge now. Where you go, I go. Where I go, you go. 
forever. And it laughed the maniacal laugh of a deranged tyrant. Wait, why are you here? I think you have the wrong address. I'm a mom with young kids. I'm sure there's some mistake. I tried to reason with it through my denial-clouded glasses. I don't make mistakes, NBC bellowed, and began to pull things from its well-worn, oiled leather bag and hurl them at me as it unpacked. I gathered my family behind me to protect them from the odd ricochet. NBC looked up. You can't protect them, it warned. They're in this too. My husband's hand tightened around my shoulder, and I could hear my boys start to cry. I don't know what to do, I admitted, and I sank down on that bamboo floor and cried helpless tears. NBC took control of us, its new family that day. It was unstable and unpredictable, storming around the house, creating arguments, slamming doors so hard they shook the foundation of our sweet home. It was always present, making itself a part of everything, squeezing in the car on the way to soccer and whispering in my ear that it could be the last one I attend, showing up to work uninvited to tell me that my children will grow up without a mother, interrupting conversations to remind everyone that it would kill me. NBC never slept, preferring instead to spend its nights gaslighting me, convincing me I invited it to live with us assuring me that if I just did the perfect Google search, I would find the mysterious way to evict NBC, the cure. Our house was reeling. She could not protect us from the ravages of NBC and didn't know how to take the pain away. All of her tried and true comfort methods were impotent against an adversary like NBC. Her fireplace no longer cast its same relaxing spell, Kitchen cabinets previously opened in anticipation of something delicious being created to nourish souls went untouched, replaced with meal train dinners left in the cooler on the porch. She held on as long as she could, but eventually it became too much. By the time we were ordered to stay inside to stay safe from COVID-19, our house was depleted. She had nothing left having struggled for so long to hold all of us together while NBC destroyed everything. We were trapped in the skin of a house that felt tighter and tighter as each week passed, and we were suffocating. Two young boys with exponential amounts of energy, two adults, the gentle English lab, the calico cat that hated us, and NBC taking up all the space. The house felt like it would explode that summer, all of us trapped inside with nothing to do besides work, fight with NBC, and be miserable. So we made the difficult decision to say goodbye to our exhausted house and to find a place that had space for all of us. You know I'll always love you, I whispered to our weary house one day in early November as I slowly walked down her steps, my hand trailing down her wall. I do. Her voice, no longer the wretched screeching of 12 years ago, now contained the golden warmth of honey. We have to go, I admitted, as I sat down on her bottom step, the one that once served as our thinking spot for the boys. I could still see their small handprints on the wall, and I traced their outlines. It's time, she agreed, 
fatigue showing itself in her voice. Can I leave NBC with you? I pleaded, desperate to be free from it. You know you can't. How about the cat? Can I at least leave her? She hates us. Absolutely not. And she laughed a deep, rolling, heartfelt laugh. I stood then, took one last look around, breathed deeply, and walked out to join my family waiting in the car. We all moved to a stately colonial. NBC jumped out of the car when we pulled into the new driveway, excited to exploit yet another unsuspecting stronghold. But it hung back as we entered the new house. I could sense NBC's hesitancy as it slowly got its bearings when it finally entered the foyer, not sure if this location was friendly territory or not. It glanced around, then immediately disappeared on a reconnaissance mission to understand what it might be subjected to. When it returned, it joined me and began lodging its complaints and identifying renovations it wanted done. The bedrooms are all upstairs. You won't be able to climb them when I infiltrate your bones. So I propose that we put the hospital bed in the living room. It then showed me how I could knock out a wall to put in a full bath on the main floor when I can't bathe myself anymore. Pointed out the beautiful long staircase in the open foyer that would be great for prom pictures and told me not to get my hopes up and shared that although the house is big enough for the boys to bring friends home with them from college and later their own families, I'll probably be long gone by then. All I could think was, if I'm gone, I take you with me, you bitch. The new house was quiet initially, respecting boundaries, not yet sure of his role. He watched NBC taking measurements and making notes, unsure of what it was actually doing there. Eventually, the new house pulled me aside to sit with him by his welcoming and cozy fireplace, a fire dancing playfully upon its hearth. He offered me a glass of red wine like any good host, settled in and took a deep breath. So, he said in a rich and soothing voice that sounds like Morgan Freeman, the pregnant silence hanging between us. Who is that? and he nodded ever so slightly towards NBC, who was at that moment drinking celery juice while yelling, Not today, celery, not today! I sighed a deep sigh that came up from my toes and stood up. That is metastatic breast cancer. It's a part of this family, unfortunately, and I need your help. That's why we're here. I grabbed NBC by the arm and began to slowly walk upstairs, pulling it along behind me like a reluctant child who does not want to leave the playground yet. I prattled on to the new house about the destruction of our old house, the soul-sucking depletion of our energy, and the havoc that NBC wrought. But then, as we reached the landing, I described a turning point, an acceptance on my part, and the intense emotional healing I worked on. We arrived in the guest room, and I showed NBC its new accommodations. It was thrilled to have its own space, and immediately began planning where it would set up its display of clinical trial knickknacks it had collected. I slowly stepped backward out of the room and silently closed the door, much like I did when my babies were napping, afraid to draw attention to myself. The new house watched me, nodding his approval. Look. I said rather frankly, my hand still on the doorknob, holding the door closed. 
I need your help. I can't control this asshole without you. The new house looked at me, his face blank, then nodded once. I'm part of this team, he said, determination set in his eyes. Tell me what you need me to do. We walked down the stairs and went into the living room, the same one NBC wanted to put my hospital bed in, and I laid out our strategy. NBC is not in charge. It has no responsibilities, no opinions, no nothing. It is to stay in its room, the guest room, at all times. I will help keep it contained. This is your house, after all, the new house said. There's plenty of room for all of us to coexist. Yes, coexisting would be ideal, I agreed. Let's do it. Although we are stuck with it forever, NBC has learned to respect boundaries. By giving it its own space, it no longer dominates the household. It is a regular visitor in the mornings, however, standing right beside me expectantly as I take my medications and then stomping upstairs like a petulant child when I am successful at banishing it for another day. With every cough, headache, weird lump, or random pain, it eagerly pops its head out of its doorway and shouts, Did somebody call me? No, we all yell, and the new house politely rushes to close its door again. NBC consistently attempts to amp up the house when scans or checkups with my oncologist are imminent, howling at all hours, Let's get ready to rumble! but I am able to send it to its room and only talk to it when I am ready. The new house standing guard outside its doorway. I like to think that NBC does a lot of sleeping and napping in its room, but I know it sits there, ever vigilant, waiting for its opportunity to open that door and waltz back into our lives amidst hoots and whistles like normal and cheers where everybody knows its name. For now, though, it is staying put in its guest room, exactly where it belongs. Erin, mm, that was phenomenal. Thank you so much for reading your story. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break here for a testimonial, and when we come back, we'll chat a bit more. Hi, I'm Jacqueline, and I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma breast cancer at age 33. I went through chemo, a lumpectomy, and radiation. I've enjoyed so much being a part of the writing groups with April and fellow breast cancer survivors and thrivers and have been able to process a lot of hard things that have happened along the way and also just been able to laugh and have fun and improve my writing in the group. I'm really looking forward to hearing April's podcast and continuing to enjoy the community of people that she brings together. Thank you so much for the love, Jacqueline. All right. Welcome back, Erin. Thank you again for your powerful writing and that performance of your story as well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So let's get into it. I want to start with something that I think you're especially good at, which is the anthropomorphizing, if I hopefully said that word right. Um, yes. <laughs> and obviously we have houses as characters in your story, but I want to talk about the NBC character. Was 
was thinking about, quote unquote, her as a human shaped villain, something that you were doing before writing this story? Or did that kind of emerge as you were writing? Can you take us kind of into thinking of cancer in in this form for you? Sure. So prior to this, NBC did not have a a human form uh, (laughs) in my life. Uh, But in writing this, I really wanted to consider what this entity would actually look like. Um, And clearly it was an evil, evil villain type. And it's funny because in writing it, April, you referred to it as a woman, but in my head, it has always been male to me, especially in writing this piece. I don't know why. Um, I find that really interesting. In fact, as I thought about it in my head, um, it reminded, to me, it reminded me of the terrible character from The Walking Dead. I think his name was Negan. Perhaps in the earlier episodes, we st- I stopped watching it because uh, it got so long. Um, but it just reminded me of like the most awful, evil character I could think of. And that was kind of who I imagined in my brain. So It's so funny because to me, your NBC character is Faith from Buffy. Did you ever watch Buffy? (laughs) Yes, that's great too. Lots of like stomping around. um, Definitely like, you know, some just, you know, throw open the doors, break down stuff, just do whatever it wants. But there's lots of like combat boots, tattoos, going out, partying all night. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly how I thought of it. (laughs) It's funny. So... Um, it's actually a therapeutic technique that um, therapists use a lot, which is to give anthropomorphic characteristics to uh, things in your life that might be difficult to deal with. So anxiety Mm. in a human form, for example, or depression in a human form. Um, I use it often with my clients to consider their eating disorder as a human form. Mm. It is a way to remove yourself from what is happening to you. Uh, So anxiety is a great one as it shows up so often, I think, for so many of us with a breast cancer diagnosis to consider it's not myself that is making me have these ridiculous thoughts about what if and the, you know, circling thoughts. It's anxiety doing it. Well, what does anxiety look like? And then as you begin to picture that thing in your head, you're able to reduce its power. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing that within this story, it really helped me minimize the power in many ways that NBC has had since diagnosis. But writing this really did help me, uh, yeah, just minimize it, put it in its place um, and keep it there. I really love that because I think that writing gives us that opportunity to step outside again, this traumatic thing and become an observer of it, a narrator of the experience and get a little distance from it. And Mm -hmm. then you've taken it to like another step removed, which 
listening to you, I think would be really powerful for not feeling responsible for, for cancer or MBC being there. You didn't bring it into your family. It's its own thing that has, has moved in, you know, and arrived. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the questions. You know, I love talking about questions and stories and, um, I, I want to ask you a question. You know, this is one of my favorite questions from being in workshops with me, but I'm curious what you would say are, is the question at the heart of your story? What did you ultimately come here to say with it? So I remember you actually asked me this one of the times that, one of the times that we worked through this in, uh, in one of the workshops and it was, you know, what are you, what are you trying to answer? What are you trying to say? And we came up with the idea that really what I was trying to say is that I don't want NBC just running all over the place and fucking up my house to be perfectly honest. Um, and how do I do that? How did I find the space to do that? And it took tons and tons of work therapeutically and just with myself through writing. Um, but to put it, in a place to be able to put it in its figurative guest room and to say, no, you don't get to be part of every single conversation that I have. You don't get to affect every decision that I make all day long, which I think early in the diagnosis, that's where I was. I mean, it's very hard early on to separate yourself. I was able, fortunately, to after sort of that flurry of activity for about six months, um, I was able to have some space to take that step back, to be in a, a place of stability for a little while, to be able to say, enough, this is not working. You cannot, NBC being you, you cannot just stomp all over the place, ruin relationships, make everybody fight with each other, and make us all miserable. It's not, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of Elizabeth Gilbert talking about fear and conversations she's had with fear. Um, in her talking about it, her analogy is a car, not a house, Mm -hmm. but she's like, I'm on this road to, you know, creativity, to writing, et cetera. I have to acknowledge that fear is coming along, but I can make the ground rules and fear doesn't get to fiddle with the radio. Fear doesn't get to take on the steering wheel fear. You have to stay in the backseat. And yeah, I like that. The way that you're describing that is that it's, it's unavoidable that it's going to be there. It's coming. It's going right. to be living in your house, but you're right. It doesn't necessarily need to be at every conversation. Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, and cr- I might be about to ask you a sensitive question. So you can tell me if, if sure. you don't feel comfortable, but I'm wondering to what extent the guest room and living, I believe you are living without active disease right now. Um, Correct. Yeah. So how much does the guest room kind of embody that, that status? And does it feel like you're kind of constantly holding that door shut or is it still work to say, no, you're just not a part of every conversation? Um, It does help significantly that I do not have active disease right now. That is my guest room. Mm -hmm. Um, And Yes, there is. I mean, it is almost like having a handle on the doorknob at all times 
just hoping and praying and waiting uh, for the inevitable. Hopefully, who knows when that will be, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully it's a long time. Um, but yeah, that, that, that has allowed me to be able to take space. I can't guarantee should NBC show up again, you know, like Norm from Cheers. Um, but, but should NBC show up again, I can't guarantee that it's going to live in the guest room forever. You know, it might be back to, you know, sitting right next to me at every single situation that I encounter. Um, but this has, the space without active disease has allowed me to create boundaries um, for myself, for my family, from the disease, which is nice. Right. Well, and it's interesting because in reading your story again, and I've read it several times, you know, and heard you read it a few times, I'm thinking about how much the story is about anticipatory grief, which I think isn't something we talk about a lot in the community. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about grief. We talk about what cancer takes. We talk about how much it upends. But in this story, we see you, your main character, moving into a new house and NBC being like, hmm, I don't know if those stairs are going to work. What about blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, that anticipation of when NBC does have a seat back at the table, maybe. And I want to say that even then, it doesn't have to be yammering away necessarily. It just might not be able to be away in a guest room. But right. so what do you say to that idea, though, of the anticipatory grief and kind of having to work through yeah, grief that's not even yet here, but but face to face. Um, I think, I mean, I think probably everyone with the NBC does this all the time, and we might not realize that we do. Mm -hmm. I can say in moving, um, which was in November of 2020. So, I mean, this what based on a real story. <laughs> so, um, when we did move. In finding a house, I can remember sitting down with our realtor when she said, you know, what is kind of top five? What are you looking for in a house? And one of the things I said was the ability to potentially do one floor living, mm. which my husband kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, that's so far down the road. But those are the kinds of things that I thought, you know, potentially this is where we're going to be like this, it'll happen. Um, and because I often live in a dark space in my head um, with my sense of humor, I would have friends come and see the house and they were very excited about it. And they often pointed out aspects of the house, like the staircase, mm. um, like the size of the house being great for people to return from college. And I, in my head would say, yeah, that sounds really great, but don't, you personally can't get too excited. Mm. Like chill, chill out with it. Um, there is a lot of forcing myself to not get too far ahead. Yeah. So that, that is, you know, anticipatory grief, but not focusing too much on it because it, it will destroy you. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I can tell you from myself, from conversations happening, you know, here at Wildfire, that 
this idea of looking at your space and being like, how will this work if I have a recurrence, you know, and I have um, cancer come back? Because once you've faced it and you've been in treatment and we've all also kind of experienced something with going through the pandemic, like, okay, what does my house need to be able to do for me? if we're all in it in these various situations, right? Right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to share. It's not only once you've been diagnosed, but now I find myself looking around and thinking, can we all live in this space? Can I live in this bedroom? Like, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I think the pandemic really has created the opportunity for people, I guess, perhaps to gain a little empathy for what um, many of us, most of us, many, most, um, in the breast cancer community, what we have faced and continue to face all the time, which is this awareness of time, awareness of life, um, and also being stuck in your house, which for many of us, when we are in active treatment with chemo, you're stuck in your house anyway. You're not, you can't go anywhere because you'll get really sick potentially. Exactly. So it was a interesting little glimpse, a little opening of the window for the rest of the world to understand a little bit of, I think, what a lot of us have already gone through. Right. Well, and to take that analogy a little further, you know, being stuck in your house, but then how do you continue to live there and not just survive there, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, Erin, thank you so much. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, today's writer and guest was Erin Weiss. Her piece was called A Guest Room for NBC from the October, November 2021 issue of Wildfire called NBC Stage 4 Survivorship. You can also hear Erin read a story about the aftermath of her NBC diagnosis all the way back at the beginning of the burn in episode five. And that story was called Feeling Good as Hell. Erin, where can people find you these days and learn more about you online? I am on Instagram, um, and my handle is E.M. Weiss, um, and I post a lot about cancer, but I also post a lot about just being a mom. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> All good stuff, yes, and two adorable dogs as well. Yes, yes. We um, no longer have the evil calico cat, which is lovely and wonderful uh, for all of us. But instead, we uh, obtained a new puppy whose name is Frankie, who joins Teddy, our other gentle, wonderful English lab. And Frankie is not as wonderful as Teddy is, but we're learning to love him. (laughs) (laughs) And we shall all follow along. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for having me. I really, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? 
visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 35 issues in the wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. Finally, here's a writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is my cancer as a character. I want you to think about the story here. We heard from Erin on what um, embodiment her cancer would take. What would your cancer look like if it were a character? Flesh it out. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it stomp around and do? What's its name? Eight minutes, write without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it takes you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.